Hey, beautiful humans. It's time to stop sacrificing for everyone else and put you first. Are you feeling tired, stuck, or disconnected? Or maybe you're just looking to be the best version of you. I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild, and this is Embrace, Embrace You First, a podcast to help you thrive and not just survive. We are busy moms, successful entrepreneurs, and doctors in the field of natural medicine with over 40 years combined clinical experience. You're going to learn from our professional expertise and our juicy secrets that have helped thousands of men and women just like you. We are going to teach you practical and doable strategies on health, relationships, and career. So sit back, relax, and get ready to embrace you right now. Have you ever wondered why some people can keep a healthy balance during challenging times through divorce, job changes, COVID times? It's not always easy, but well, where there is a will, there is a way. And who better to ask than Evan DeMarco? Welcome, Evan DeMarco. Hey, guys. How's it going? (laughs) Good. How are you? So happy to have you on here. (laughs) Thanks for so much for having me. So, so people often get so caught up in their challenges and traumas and freeze within these challenges and traumas and say they'll wait until everything is running smoothly and perfectly before they start to take care of themselves. And so, but why is it that some people can find the balance within those challenges and some people really struggle? And, and I, I, I turn to you because listen to your, um, your podcast, uh, the, the, the uh, complete human, and you have so much to offer in terms of finding that balance in life and through challenges. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your worst or biggest challenge and how you found balance within that. Oh, great question. Uh, well, a little bit about me. Uh, so I, I have two digital content platforms, uh, Single Parents Daily and the Complete Human Podcast. Uh, Single Parents Daily, <clears throat> excuse me, was really born out of a cathartic need to really make sense of my divorce. And I have to be candid is that in the beginning, it wasn't it wasn't the positive thing that it was today. It was really a lot of my anger and my ego needing some type of validation in the world. So I started this blog post and it was a lot of like, you know, woe is me, the, you know, the sky is falling, you know, just crap. It was, it was a lot of crap. Mm. And it, it actually took a good friend of mine to, uh, you know, called me up and said, Hey, I, I've been reading your stuff and I, I don't know if you guys have a PG rating, so I'm, I might blow this, but he's like, dude, you're being an asshole. Uh, <laughs> so stop it. And okay. It was one of those, it was one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, I am, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I've, I'm a father and yet I'm so focused on my pain and my trauma. It's like, how do I start to rebuild? Mm. And so there was yes. that element of, of kind of my, my journey. And then along the way, what I recognized in all of the work that I've been doing for the last 10, 15, 20 years, which is in health and wellness, I recognized that there was a lot missing, right? Health and wellness as a business is so flawed and it's flawed because it's commercial, it's commercial in the sense of buy my book, do my diet, you know, take this supplement. But we always, it's such a microscopic view of things. And we never look at the macro. We never look at the whole person, the environment. How do we start to really improve people's lives, their health and wellness journeys, looking at all of the elements of their lives? It's, you're not going to fix someone's life by putting them on a keto diet. It just doesn't work that way. And so Complete Human was the evolution of my desire to really take my experiences, both in health and wellness and social, emotional, spiritual, and from my divorce and apply those into a matrix that allowed me to communicate. And what I wanted to do is also bring light to a lot of the things that I think that we're 
as a collective suffering through. And that is, you know, that is the environmental stuff. That's the social stuff. But how do we get to that point, right? And so, as, as we started to map this out, what I recognized was, you know, you got to fix your mental, all of your mental stuff first. Go to a gym, and I don't know if you guys have this problem in Canada, but go to a gym on January 1st or 2nd, and it's packed. Everybody's got their New Absolutely. Year's resolutions. I'm going to lose the weight. Right. And by about a month and a half to two months later, it's back to normal. All of those same people that had their New Year's resolutions are now back to, you know, binge watching Netflix and eating potato chips. And why is that, right? Because we're not fixing the mental issues that lead to what are causing those unhealthy behaviors. So we talked a little bit in the intro is is the four principles of, of complete human is let's work on the mental stuff. What are the mental blocks? How do we do that? Then we transition into the physical health. Well, well, physical health is not buy my book, do my diet, do this workout. Physical health has to be predicated off of diagnostic testing. And as two doctors, you guys recognize it. Like I could tell you what's wrong with you, but if I don't have a test to determine that, well, then I'm just blowing smoke up your, you know, where. So how do we use all of the science that's come out in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, microbiome, DNA methylation, you know, telomeres, all of these things to really craft solutions for a unique individual to help them achieve what it is that they need to achieve. So you get mental, you get physical, but what about the spiritual, right? And health and wellness, especially in social media, is a lot of Instagram influencers showing you how good they look in a, you know, a swimsuit or, you know, how much weight they can pump at a gym. But how spiritually connected are these people? And having had conversations with a lot of them, I can tell you not very, you know, it's Mm kind of like, you know, talking to a wall. Um, (laughs) And so when we remove the ego and we start to understand our energetic connection to the world, how are we all bound together? How are we all connected? And what can we do if we amplify that energetic connection? What are we capable of doing? Well, then we have that kind of our fourth principle, which is, you know, this, this planetary piece, you know, mental, physical, and spiritual lead way to us reshaping the planet the way that we need to reshaping our trajectory as a species. And I feel like we've taken this demonstrable step back. You know, I look at the sixties, right? You know, JFK says by the end of the decade, we're going to put a man on the moon and in that he cultivated this economy, these dreamers, these believers that thought we can do anything. You know, we can, we can build a, a rocket and send a person to the moon. That was in the 1960s. And now we're like, we've got a disease and all our, our, our only solution is to put on masks and stay inside. Like, how have we slid that far backwards? It, it's just, it's crazy. So, you know, the, the long answer to you, very long answer, and I apologize uh, to your question. No, That's who don't I am as, as a person mm-hmm. who's. We I like detail. Take edu- okay. But I want to take education, inspiration, and apply that to real calls to action for people to change the trajectories of their lives and to change the trajectory of the planet. So, what are some of the most challenging times that you've been through, and how did you maintain balance throughout that? Well, my divorce was absolutely the most challenging time. And I think anybody who's gone through a divorce, especially with kids, knows how difficult that can be. You're dealing with the end of a relationship, which in a lot of ways is like a death. But then you're also trying to keep it together and still see this person because you need to co-parent, assuming that you have some kind of co-parenting relationship. That's a real challenge, right? The grieving Mm -hmm. process usually is this idea that something ends and then we begin grieving. But if you're constantly seeing that person, how do you really go through that grieving process? 
acceptance of the end of a relationship when you see that person every other day is like, how do I get to that place? That was a challenge for me. And, and what it really forced me to do was recognize that my ego since probably I was born has stood in the way of a lot of my a lot of my happiness, a lot of my gratitude, and a lot of the things that I needed to accomplish as an individual. And so, you know, it took a lot of really tough times, dark days, dark nights, you know. Um, I remember when I moved out of my family home, I couldn't, I, I got a crappy two-bedroom furnished apartment with a bunch of bad Ikea furniture, and I couldn't sleep in the bed. And it was like a month, and I, I would sleep on this horrible, horribly uncomfortable couch because I thought that if I slept in that bed, that was admitting that my relationship was over. And mm -hmm. so it was a lot of these struggles that allowed me to kind of grow as a person, but I had to hit rock bottom first. And then, you know, it was, how do I rebuild myself from there? How do I peel back the layers of all the ego problems that I've had? How do I peel back the layers of all of the, the things that have stood in my way and start to rebuild myself as the person that I needed to be as a single father, as someone who wanted to do good in this world, as someone who wanted to inspire. Um, so oftentimes I find that, you know, especially in speaking with people in groups or, you know, at conferences is we all have these moments, right? Rock bottom for me could be different than rock bottom for someone else. But when we are able to find that place where we strip away the layers of all of the stuff that have, you know, got us to a certain place and really look at ourselves and be like, okay, that's something I don't like about myself, but I still love myself or I'm learning to love myself, then we can start to rebuild towards something, you know, a lot more profound. And in my life, that's exactly what it was. It was, I needed to be the best father that I could be. I wanted to be the best father that I could be. I wanted to inspire my daughter. I wanted her to be proud of me. So I couldn't do that as the man that I was while I was married. I had to do that as I rebuilt myself uh, from kind of as cliched as it was, you know, the, the phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it really took that kind of challenge for you to wake up and, you know, find the best version of you, right? Yeah. Even collectively. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Was it in the best version of me, just like all of us, is it, it's, it's fluid, right? You know, it's yesterday was a complete disaster for me. My, my daughter's nanny called us up and said, I've got COVID. So now it's lockdown, DEFCON 1 around here. Everybody's asymptomatic. Yeah. Nobody's got a fever. Pulse ox is fine. But now we've got, we've got to go get a test right now. It's like, oh, my God. Like, we went from everything's great and, you know, we're surviving COVID to now maybe we have it. And, you know, it's our best versions of ourselves are always fluid. It's, it's, it's day to day. And, and, you know, the thing that I, I tell everybody that we work with is we never let great be the enemy of good or the other mm. way around. Like, anyway, you get what I'm saying. And it's, yes. we just keep walking yeah. away. That's it's, it's it. Some days are good. Some days are bad, but it's, it's a long journey and there's no scorecard. We just have to keep working on ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're collectively moving through the five stages of grief uh, through COVID times, you know, like just started out in denial that he was even happening back in March in Canada, Ontario. I don't know when started to spike there, but, and then there's this whole, so there's denial, then there's bargaining and, and then sadness and mad and angry and acceptance, as you said, which you can kind of relate any kind of grief you go through. There's, you're moving through these stages of grief and it's not linear. You're jumping back and forth and, and uh, you're, you're, you're grief stricken. And then of course there's finding 
um, the last stage, which was added recently. It's like finding meaning in all of this. And I feel like you've done that through your divorce. You found meaning in it. And it is, I mean, it's just recognizing that, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to always be stuck in finding meaning. You're going to be jumping back and forth. But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think meaning in my divorce came from recognizing that my relationship didn't define me. Acceptance is the place that I had that relationship and I'm okay with it being over. Meaning was the understanding that the relationship didn't define me. And in fact, it inspired me to be a better version of myself, to be the best version of myself. I couldn't be that for my ex-wife. And unfortunately, that that is the guilt that I still carry with me, is that I wish I could have been the better version of myself in that marriage. But by ending it, it allowed me to really start to uncover a lot of the fundamental flaws in myself, in my character, in you know, a lot of the issues that I that I really have been carrying with me since, you know, I was a kid. And mm-hmm. and understand that, okay, this this relationship was so important for my growth. Now, we oftentimes look at relationships, and and I love M. Scott Peck's Road Less Traveled, where he says, you know, um, true love is nurturing someone else's spiritual and emotional growth. Now, in my case, true love, you know, it it took my divorce to fall in love with myself and nurture my own spiritual and emotional growth. I wish I could have done that in my relationship, but I couldn't. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, the meaning was relationships are going to come and go. Our life expectancy is increasing. And, and I, I've talked a lot about this on my podcast. I get a lot of crap for it. But is the <laughs> modern day relationship dead? And I kind of think that it is. If we're all on our own spiritual and emotional growth journey, we're going to change. And so if I live to be 150 and I'm 41 right now and I get married today, I'm with someone for over a century. Like, think about that. That is a long time to be with someone. I don't like anybody that much. <laughs> how do we how do we reframe relationships in the context of I really want to be with someone? We're all right. human beings that crave connection, but I don't want that relationship to limit my own growth, and I don't want that relationship to limit someone else's growth. So it's it, it's kind of re, you know the the acceptance and then kind of the meaning of all of this is that maybe we need to really reframe relationships. And so I go into every relationship, friendship, intimacy, romantic, whatnot, thinking that it's like, I don't have this, they lived happily ever after. I have this, I am really, you know, enthralled with this person and I want to help them grow as much as possible. And when, as we continue to do that together, we grow. And the second that that stops, then we have to reevaluate and say, okay, you know, maybe it's time to shuffle the deck a little bit. I read a meme recently that said something like, uh, don't um, marry because you're in love with the person, marry the person because you're going to grow together. Like if their person's open to grow with you, then marriage could be a successful, you know, endeavor. So I think it's interesting that you're talking all about growth. I think that it's not that um, marriage can't work out. It's more just that you have to be willing to grow together, not apart, clearly. Right, and so. it's not your fault that it happened. It was just that you guys weren't necessarily in uh, in alignment in your growth path, right? So just recognizing that. I think for everyone, it's, it's a different path, right? So what your path is, is maybe different than someone else. And, and the traditional paths have been you know, not so empowering. Like you stay in the relationship because you have to when you're a martyr, right? You tough it out. Mm -hmm. And we're in this modern day society where you don't have to do that anymore. So there's, hence, you know, I don't actually, do you know the uh, statistics for divorce rate? 
Maybe More than it's over 50% in the United States for first divorces. Okay. If you get married a second time, it's 64%. And if you get married a third time, just forget about it. Go get your marriage. <laughs> Why bother? Why bother? At the same time. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, there's no point. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty bad. But it, it, think of this, right? Marriage was an archaic institution. It was like, okay, you know, we needed to combine forces for this village. You know, I'm going to marry off my daughter in exchange for two goats and a farm chicken. Like, it's an archaic institution, but you got married at such a young age, right? So, you're getting married at 15 or 16. Your life expectancy is 35. If you don't like the person, which chances are you didn't, well, you're dead in 20 years. Like, I don't have to live that long. <laughs> now, think of it that way. Like, if I get married when I'm 20 or 30 and I live to be 100, that's a long time to be with someone. So, the fundamental nature of our lives have changed. And, and people look at, like, these archaic institutions as a paradigm for how we should be living our lives. And our lives... It's not that I'm down on marriage. It's not that I'm down on relationships. I am up on growth. We constantly have to grow and evolve. That's our job here on this planet. You know, inspire others, figure out what we're made of, experience all the form and splendor and beauty that this world has to offer and, and do that in a way that's not, it's not so egocentric, right? It's, it's like, do something not because you're going to get likes on Instagram, but because you really want to do it. And if you find relationships that allow you to grow the way that you want to grow, embrace those, go with them as long as you can. If you don't, there's no harm in saying this relationship doesn't serve me anymore. And we tend to think of that as selfish, but it's not, it's self-love. And we need a lot more of that right now. You know, you, you talked about COVID. We're going through all of this. There's going to be a severe PTSD problem because of COVID in, in the future, right? And like, how are we going to deal with that? Are we going to go back to the traditional method of, well, here's your pharmaceutical intervention, you know, take some Prozac, or are we going to really look at how do we heal as a planet? You know, I talk a lot about plant medicine, you know, th- this could be the great emergence of, you know, ayahuasca for the world. It's like, we need a serious <laughs> spiritual shift. And if it doesn't happen, we're going to be stewing in this for probably decades. Yeah, it's finding ways though. You know how you talked about your morning routine, which sounds beautiful. You wake up, you have brew your coffee, you have your sauna, you jump in the cold water. That's awesome, but it's a lot. So what could somebody who, let's say, they're just flying by the seat of their pants and they're just run ragged and they're not sleeping enough, they're eat, making poor nutrition choices and they're going through a big challenge and, you know, we're trying to speak to them that, you know, and say, in order to take care of the people around you, you got to take care of you first. So what would be some really simple things that you could, you know, offer to them that would be really empowering, just little things that would go far? What would you say oh. on, the, on all the pillars? Uh, on all the pillars, the first thing is to take the time for yourself. And, and, you know, my morning routine is about an hour and a half. I love it. I remember I hired, uh, I hired an employee and we were having this conversation one time and I was telling her what it is that I did. And she's like, I just don't have time to do that. And I'm like, you have nothing but time to do that because you can get up and you can start, you know, responding to emails and you can start, you know, doing all of, all of the things that you, you think that you need to do. But if you don't take the time for yourself, what are you doing all of this for? So my biggest thing for people is take the time. Maybe you don't have an hour and a half. Maybe that's just not in your cards, but take a half an hour, right? And find something that is specifically for you. Read a book, journal, meditate. The most important thing that I can tell someone is do not get out of bed and look at your phone. That is, that is the 
biggest thing that I can tell people now, and, and we do this, right? Like, what do you guys do? The first thing that, you know, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Open the curtains. Okay. Yeah. Sit there, look out, try to get that cortisol awakening response. <laughs> Shut off your melatonin Honestly. switch. Get yeah. your, you know, mm-hmm. so most people don't do that. Mary, what about you? Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about how do I navigate getting out of here before my kid gets up so that I can go out for my walk because I it's like it's a necessity and I it's a must like I, I will not forego it right Good. yeah the fresh air nature yeah yeah and so you get you know I mean you know you're actively you know turning on your cortisol switch shutting off your melatonin switch you're you're you know you're waking up properly there was a study that was done that it was like 29% of millennials the first thing that they do before actually going to the bathroom is check their phone right in social media and what did we learn from social dilemma or what do we know basically from you know gambling is is like it's it's just the simple act of scrolling is like you know pulling the That's lever right. on a slot machine so we're beginning this day in a reactive fight or flight, you know, response. And it, and it could be something as simple as like, uh, you know, I missed a party. You know, some of my friends were at a party I didn't get invited to, or I saw my ex with their new, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, and it triggered, you know, all of these, these chemicals. And the, the reality is, is that chemical response is literally no different than saber-toothed tiger chasing you across the plains. Your brain doesn't know the difference that this is fight or flight versus, you know, that your brain literally doesn't know that you're not in danger because it's just Instagram versus there's a bear that's coming to eat you. So, Absolutely. what happens to our day when we begin like that? And, and so, you know, it's just a domino effect. We're constantly in this heightened state of fight or flight. We're constantly in this sympathetic, parasympathetic, you know, uh, ping pong match. And it's no wonder that everybody's stressed out. We've got adrenal fatigue. It's, you know, everybody's biomarkers are all wacky. So my big thing back to this is shut off the damn phone. Don't look at it until, you know, you've done your morning routine. Get up, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, create that routine, spend time with yourself. Date yourself first thing in the morning, you know, journal, read, do whatever you have mm-hmm. to do. Um, but it. take that 30 minutes up to an hour and a half, and that sets you up for success for the rest of the day. And if you can do that, that small optimization goes a long way towards reframing what we have to do versus what we should do. And how do you create the space to get up that early to do that for yourself before your kids come running in? So here's, here's something interesting. How long should we sleep every day? So sleep studies say, ideally, around at minimum five hours, but optimally seven to eight. Yeah. And, and originally in the Industrial Revolution for the United States, eight hours became this de facto, like you should get eight hours of sleep, right? And so the Industrial Revolution decided that we were going to break up the American's day into eight hours of sleep, eight hours of work, eight hours of family time. But if we look at the average sleep cycle at 90 minutes, 90 minutes or eight hours divided by 90 minutes is like 5.33333. It's not a, you know, you're waking up in the middle of a sleep cycle. So I actually like Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor's take on this. And if you follow him, he talks a lot about this is that our sleep cycles or our sleep time should be based off of sleep patterns for like 90 minute sleep cycles, sleep six hours, sleep seven and a half hours, sleep nine hours, whatever it is. So my thing is figure out how long you need to sleep and then incrementally wind back for that extra 30 minutes. You know, if you know that you need seven and a half hours of sleep, make sure that you go to bed at enough time where you can get up and have that 30 minutes before your kids come knocking on the door. Your kids do that. Now, my daughter also knows that my morning routine is my morning routine. 
you know, she's got her iPad. She's not allowed to watch YouTube or anything like that. She's got like her education games. And if for one, whatever reason she wakes up early, she knows that she can go to that until daddy's ready to, you know, get out of the cold pool or do whatever I, you know, wherever I'm at. So setting expectations with your family is paramount and they need to know that they should be taking care of themselves as well. Why do we wait till we're 30 to start developing these habits? It's like teach your six-year-old to have that kind of habit, spend some me time in the morning. They don't have to just get out of bed and, you know, have some breakfast and go to school. And that's what we used to do. Like, that's kind of a broken model. Well, except that, you know, kids love computer, right? Well, as everybody does. So now they get up and the first thing they want to go to is an iPad, right? They're just saying, oh, we, we need to be off our devices first thing. But yet that's exactly what they're doing as well, especially True. when you're working out. And that's why I say she's not allowed to watch videos. Yeah. She's only allowed to do educational mm-hmm. things. Now, I know that the blue light activation from devices is not the best thing. And normally she doesn't do that, right? So it's only on days that she wakes up. So, you know, on days that she doesn't, Got it. Um, she, and this happens like once a month, right? So on days that she doesn't, you know, we wake up, we have breakfast together. Um, I've got this big life journal, which is all just mindset stuff that we read together and we kind of go through that exercise. Um, and then we begin awesome. the deplorable and failed experiment called distance learning. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us about that a little bit before we go on. Just like, what's your experience with it? Just curious. Cause we're going through the same thing. Uh, so I had a, uh, I remember one time, I don't remember how old I was. I, I had a prostate exam and it was this young resident and she, uh, you know, she was like this, five two waif with the tiniest fingers and that was my first <laughs> prostate exam and as far as prostate exams go, it was quite she couldn't handle it yeah it's okay. <laughs> it was, but yes as far as prostate exams go, it was lovely my mm-hmm. second prostate exam was this like six five doctor who i'm sure was a linebacker <laughs> and had these italian sausage fingers so my second prostate exam was not nearly as lovely um, in fact I, I still might cry from time to time thinking about it that second prostate exam is a dream vacation in comparison to distance. <laughs> right. I'd have to agree. I don't know how I to, best just, to say this, but I would rather have a giant man's finger <laughs> up my butt than do Zoom distance. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. That is too funny. I think, I think just setting the expectations, like lowering our expectations, because we just think that they're going to learn what they were supposed to learn. And then on top of that, how do you navigate the world of working and getting stuff done, especially when you have that kind of type A, got to get stuff done personality. And then you've got your, well, I've got two kids, one who's four, and we've got to put all these supplies together to create a bomb or, or <laughs> like a little explosion with baking soda and vinegar while the, and, you know, buy a computer and then buy another computer. The other one's trying to do math and find out where to, you know, submit that and, and even know the math in the first place. And then I'm trying to do my thing on the side. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a nightmare, I would say. It is. So I and just lowered my expectations. There you go. And that's what we have to do. And, and, you know, it's mm-hmm. funny, my, my daughter's teacher was the first one to say that we should have just canceled school this year. Mm, because wow. we're forcing yeah. kids to try to maintain the academic requirements of school in a in a way that nobody knows what's going on, right? Teachers were never educated on how to teach through Zoom. They're trying to figure exactly. out the technology. The kids are, uh, 
like it's great you can tell the kids that um are going to be borderline add anyway but by the ones that have swivel chairs and just watch this zoom class and everybody starts doing this about three minutes into the into the right how do you capture a kid's attention how do you inspire a kid how do you even give them the energetic connection that we need and especially my daughter's in first grade that's about connection it's about social skills it's like this it's it's a debacle it's an epic debacle and and we are going to see the ripple effect of this 10 15 20 years down the road we are going to have a generation of people who are i think educationally challenged well you know my daughter uh she's eight she's actually going to school she's in a private school and um they are socially distant and they're wearing masks so it's you know even that is as you say a debacle because it's definitely not what it used to be and so she would come home and say you know what i wish i was not born it's like or i wish i wasn't born when to know because here's the thing right she knows what what life was like before covid and now it's a totally different thing and to have to wear a being a young child wearing a mask all day long and it's enforced right it's hard enough as an adult i can't imagine what there it's as a child and you know crazy and what is this going to do to the way that our kids perceive others? Now, it already has happened to us, right? Where you'll go to the grocery store and you're masked up and whatnot, but you're, you know, you're afraid of people. Like, you know, you see someone, yes. there automatically becomes this distance that separates us. We are now, you know, as adults, we're now taught based off of COVID and, and we can discuss the medical, you know, issues of COVID, mm-hmm. uh, but we're taught to be afraid of others. What is that going to do to our kids? And what is the ripple effect of them being told that they have to be afraid of someone else. And we haven't really uncovered or unpacked what the psychological ramifications of this are going to be on a long-term basis. But again, it's, it's, we're going to be in some serious PTSD mode for a long time. And I think our kids Absolutely. are going to be the ones that are dealing with it the most. Yeah. So what do you tell your daughter to help offset some of that? Oh God, it's great question. Um, I tell her this sucks. Absolutely. I'm really sorry that this is, I wish that daddy could, you know, wave the magic wand and make this all go away, but I can't. And so, yeah. you know, we, we do a lot of hugging it out. It's a lot of, you know, just sitting there on the couch and, and holding each other while she kind of breaks down and it happens a lot. It's that mm. this sucks and we don't know when it's going to get better. We're trying every single day. Um, the, the smart people are doing what they can, um, but we just have to be strong. And, and our motto around here is, is live, grow stronger, fight another day. Nice. And so you know, that's how we look at this is when, I never say when this ends, that's, that's the thing. And I think that we've gotten into this habit of like when things get back to normal, it's never happening, right? This has reshaped so many things from air travel totally. to vacations, to the way that we interact with people, business. This is now how we do business. It's through the computer. Like industrial parks are going to collapse. Commercial real estate is is a giant bubble waiting to burst. Our future is is so ambiguous right now. And so there's there's this hope and people still say it. When things get back to normal, it ain't happening, right? So no, it's not. No. No. We Which talk is- a lot about how do we adapt? And, and that's, I think, mm-hmm. the thing that I, I really impress upon her is that we have to pay attention and we have to look towards the future while still being present in the moment 
and that means just being here and loving each other and being okay with the you know the fact that things suck but like how do we adapt how do we work with this so that we're not one of those people that are just left out in the cold being like well crap yep which is why I, the other day we were driving to go for a bike ride in the forest because my four-year-old has learned how to mountain bike ride because of her de- determined mommy and my seven-year-old can do like a <laughs> can do like a little 10k uh, mountain bike riding in the forest and she'll do two and a half k and I've got the bike strapped to my back because I'm determined we can do this little tight totter seat and she's she's sitting there on the tight totter after she's done her two and a half k and she's like mommy why are we doing this so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, because we can, because we've got two feet, two legs, we got to do this for, to take care of our brains. And she's like, to take care of our brains. Okay, mommy. And just like, they ask such cute little questions at four years old. And, you know, on the way to the bike ride, she's, she's, you know, I'm on a phone with a physician friend and she's like, you know, when, or my, actually it was my son. He's like, when, when, uh, Hey, can you find the cure to COVID so I can hang out with my friends again? (laughs) All these cute little things that come up. But I think what's so important is that we take care of ourselves now adapting as though this is the new norm so that we can show up as better humans, partners, lovers, you know, in relationships, parents, so that our kids can kind of then follow suit. We can be good role models, right? Well, the truth is, though, I mean, there are some change. I mean, we can look at the negative, but there have been some positive stuff is coming out of this. And it's a global um signal to have everyone to actually go inward and go take stock, right? And then it's an opportunity to transition and pivot as you've done, right? Like, I love it that, um, so in our last episode, we talked or we mentioned that you had an injury and you totally pivoted, right? Because you were on a cause to um, raise money for charity and that was going to be through your run. Was that what it was? Yeah, I I was going to, uh, and I should have been shot for even thinking this. I was going to run a hundred miles. <laughs> like why? Like that is just, I get tired. I get tired driving a hundred miles. Like what am I going to do running a hundred miles? Okay. Uh, so here's the, okay. I'm going to cut you off for one second. You're going to have to listen to our podcast with Len Stanmore, who has actually, he's not in the Guinness book of world record because there's no one on the planet that has done what he's done. And the guy is 68. Okay. So he has climbed the seven peaks and seven continents. He has crossed four deserts. He has skied the North and South Pole. And he's done, I don't know how many ultra marathons, because that's what you were talking about. And I'm not belittling you at all, because I just think that's so freaking crazy and insane. <laughs> and, like, insane. <laughs> insane. Right. Uh, but anyway, you got to check that out. But we want to hear your story about what happened with you. No, no, I know there's not, there's not much of a story. I, you know, I, I was at an American Ninja Warrior training gym because my daughter loves American Ninja Warrior. And I Aww. went up the warped wall, something I'd done a hundred times and got halfway up and my calf just pulled away. And so and I didn't, I didn't get all the way up and I wasn't at the bottom. So I'm stuck leaning against the side <laughs> of this warped wall with my calf mm. torn. And I like, it's, it pulled completely oh. away. And I'm just like, it hurt. It really hurt. So I'm like, I'm trying to hold it together for my daughter. And I'm like, I've got tears streaming down my face. I can't figure out how to get down. I'm like, I'm not close enough to jump up and reach the top. And I'm like the only, so at this point, the only way is down, but I'm like, I'm in so much pain. So I'm like, screw it. I just tucked and rolled. 
got down to the bottom and, you know, went to, uh, actually went to Dr. Harry Adelson, uh, the stem cell doctor in uh, Park City, Utah. And I was there, I, I was actually filming with him like two days later. So I'm like, I had to get on a plane. I just wrapped the heck out of it. And, you know, he, he did the, uh, he did the ultrasound. And he's like, holy cow. Um, so he injected some exosomes and, you know, we did some stem cell therapy and you really took care of it. And it's, it's fine now. Nice. Um, but at the time, there's no way that I was going to get myself back to training for a hundred miles. And, and look, I'm a, I don't think that that's smart anyway, right? The oxidative <laughs> stress that you put your body through yeah, running a hundred miles. I mean, why? Like, you know, it's crazy. You know, man is a persistence hunter, right? Like we, we are one of the only species that's, you know, our lungs are not attached to our, you know, to our frame. So like pumas or cheetahs, you know, they can only go so far because eventually, you know, they've got that lung fatigue. Well, we don't have that issue. And there's the anthropological idea that our brain growth was based off of our ability to hunt or track down some of these larger game, not because we were as fast as them, but because we eventually would just persistence them until the point that they couldn't <laughs> run anymore. And then we would eat them. Technology has brought us to the point where we don't have to do that. Like I don't have to run a hundred miles to kill a caribou or a, you know, a wildebeest and have dinner. I can just get in my car and go to the grocery store or in COVID <laughs> I can call up Uber Eats and, and make that happen. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, we have to adapt. And, and that's, I think that that's what that boils down to is, is that COVID has given us an opportunity to really look at a lot of the issues that, you know, we had and how do we fix those while dealing with the global trauma that we're all facing. And, and I think kids, if we can teach them about resiliency, this is a great learning lesson for them. Um, we just have to frame it in a way that's going to you know, we're going to have to keep it in a way that allows our kids to heal properly from this while creating a lifestyle that allows them to flourish and thrive in a world that's going to be very challenging. And, and you know, it's, it's COVID-19, but it could be COVID-23 or, or what, what's next. The one thing that I do tell people time and time again is there is a cure and that is to stay in shape and that is to be healthy, right? You know, yep. being overweight or obese yes. is ground zero for you to have catastrophic issues associated with this. What we do know is, is that people who are relatively healthy, who have a lower BMI, who are, you know, who take care of themselves are more likely to going to come through this. And so, you know, th yeah. this has to be a wake up call that we have to take care of ourselves physically and mentally uh, or, yeah, we're going to succumb to this one or the next one or the one after that. Mm -hmm. And emotionally, don't forget the emotion for sure. I love that you framed it that way because, of course, you know, fear unfortunately stops us. And with all the media that's out there, you just focus on the fear versus, hmm, let me self reflect. Let's look at what I can do for myself to prevent this. So, really, it's no matter what the numbers are, and the numbers are increasing, it's like it, it, that should not. Um, play into what you can do for yourself because you don't have to be part of that number, part of the stats, right? No, and, and the stats are variable, right? Like, you know, ask, ask a, a thousand different people and you're going to get a thousand different answers. My neighbor is the head of the ICCU here. And so he is, he's dealing with COVID every single day. And I, I mm -hmm. asked him, you know, the other day, I'm like, what do you know today? He's like less than I knew yesterday. COVID is a finicky virus, right? And there's a lot yeah. of things going on. We haven't even scratched the surface of what the long-term implications are. Is it pulmonary and cardiovascular scarring? You know, is, is it cognitive right. decline? You know, what are the issues associated with this? By and large, we kind of think that, yeah, you know, most people are going to be okay, but we still don't know. And so the 
best Mm -hmm. thing that you can do is the self-care element. The one thing you can control is your health, your mental fortitude. You know, how are you emotionally dealing with this? You know, get the breathe app, get one of the, you know, get one of the apps on your phone that a lot that teach you how to meditate and spend some time doing that. Just the simple act of breathing every single day is going to, you know, it's going to lower those stress chemicals. Um, and it's going to put your lungs in a better position to deal with this thing, but we have to take care of ourselves. That's, that's the first thing that you do. And the rest of the stuff, it's going to work itself out. I mean, Fauci said, just stay alive until April of next year. Do we need to be banking on a vaccine? Probably not. But, and, and that's the other issue. Like I'm going to take, I'm going to go on a tangent here, but vaccines typically don't work on obese people right now. Obese people are, are they shed the virus more, they shed it longer, and they're greater host for mutations. So he's talking about a vaccine in a country where 50% of the people are in the at-risk population where vaccines don't work on them. So, I mean, like, we're, it's, it's a disaster. <laughs> so <laughs> take care of yourself. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, right? You know, bolster, yes. bolster your NK cell activity. Get your adaptive mm-hmm. immune system in order, you know, get your T cells working properly. Like let's let's do all the things that we know we can do scientifically to prepare for the eventuality that we're gonna get it and we need to, you know, we need to be better hosts for ourselves so that this virus doesn't hang out longer. Love that. And, you know, again, instead of paying attention to those that die and whatever, it's like, why don't we pay attention to those that don't get it, that are in the line of fire, and let's model that, right? And that comes back to the whole self-care. But yeah, isn't it interesting that in life, you know, everything looks really great, but it's that one thing. And we just focus on that one thing that you just want, right? Or like growing up, I would get 99 in a test, but it's like, what, what happened to that one? And we'd focus in on that 1%, right? So it's like, why can't we reverse and just celebrate who we are and what we're doing right and let's up the ante and up the level on that. I love that you said that, Mary. Um, there's, a, there's a movement out there, and it's out of South America, and it's called F Up. It's actually the, the full thing for F Up, but it's F Up Nights. And their whole thing is what they do is they reframe failure as mm-hmm. a good love thing, it. right? Because in, in school, we're taught, well, if you get an F on a test, that's a failure. Why is that? Why is that not an opportunity to learn? You know, why is it that we judge kids based off of, well, you got a 99, but you didn't get a hundred. That's a failure. But, you know, it's the Thomas Edison thing. I didn't come up with, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I just figured out 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. And failures are, are almost like, that's the catalyst to success. And and it's funny, like we, we just got out of political season or I don't know, we're still in political (laughs) season, but every (laughs) political ad is, well, this person failed at this and this person failed at this. I'm like, I want a leader who failed. I want someone who knows what it's like to fail and then figure out how to turn that failure into a success. But yet we yes. become so enamored as a society, you know, not just here in the U.S., but globally with pointing out people's failures. I'm like, point out my failures. You know, if I learn from them, it's a good thing. I love it. When my son is on virtual school and he's like, I can't do it right. And I'm like, that's perfect because that's how you'll learn. (laughs) And then even as it relates to patients, when they show back up and they have this guilty, you know, face on through virtual telemedicine and their tails tucked between their legs and they're like, I failed. I didn't do it right. And I, I didn't lose weight. I'm like, 
that's okay. What did you do to, to support you to get here? Did you follow some of the things I recommended? Oh yeah, I did this, this, and this. And like, while well, your metabolic parameters are probably, you know, shifting and the next time we see each other, you will have lost weight. And then they show up the next time they've dropped 10 pounds. So it's the failures that yield success and, and understanding how to adapt to that and not get so stuck up on the fact that you're in a challenge because there's never a perfect life. Like life is full of challenges. It's like, always a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we who grow through that. It was perfect. Right? It's mm-hmm. really boring. <laughs> I, I went to Bora Bora one time and, you know, you get there and, and it's it's exactly what Bora Bora is supposed to be. You're in your overwater bungalow and it's 82 degrees all the time and the water's like 80 degrees and you can see forever and the drinks are perfect and the people are perfect and it's just like it's perfect and like after a week you're like get me the hell out of here like, <laughs> that's hilarious i love that we have to have the bad to appreciate the good and life is this yeah. constant balance of yes taking these mistakes and applying those and and you know allowing us to move forward like i i need bad times right i i like to yeah. i like to embrace the suck every now and then because <laughs> otherwise, yeah, otherwise yeah. you won't have any frame of reference well then you're you so can't. proud of yourself for getting through it after too yeah. like i did that and i kept i kept taking care of myself through it right so that's that's huge yeah love that it was so awesome to have you on our show once again thank you so much evan demarco for joining us uh please like and sh- uh, subscribe and share this podcast and follow evan on his uh journey to educate on his podcast complete human and single parents daily and uh one question which i think you've answered a lot through this particular podcast but what have you done recently to like what is one thing you would want to share that's filled your cup recently or added to your cup compulsive masturbation Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Bilaterally. I, each yeah. hand. Well, of course. Yeah. You know, it's all about symmetry, right? You know? Thanks I started so with only one well, hand, then. and then I, I found myself walking in circles afterwards. I don't know why. Overdeveloping one side. Oh, uh, my goodness. Thank you. you know, um, okay. I think you answered it. So that's how I was like, I think you answered it. I should have just ended it there. I did. I, I think that, you know, it, it's... Uh, I will say this, um, cutting one thing that has really filled my cup is setting very concrete uh, parameters for social media. I use it for business. Mm. So it's, I have to have it. It is a, it is a tool for my business, Right. but same. Uh, no more than 30 minutes a day. And that's in chunks. So 15 minutes in the morning for things that I post and then 15 minutes later in the day. That nice. has been the greatest impetus for what I would consider just freeing up my day, freeing up my energy and freeing up, you know, like just my spirit, my spirit. It's like, I can now reach out to people. I'm more connected. I don't use social media. Um, And I will say this. I have absolutely like called friends out. I'll call them up and be like, Hey, how's it going? Or we'll have a conversation. Like, didn't you see my story? Like, no. And I'm like, and I'll tell people, I'm like, look, we're friends and I value your friendship and I have no problem firing you as a friend if you can't have a conversation with me that doesn't direct me back to your Instagram feed for me to understand what's going on in your life. So if you don't value our relationship enough that we can have a conversation about what's going on in your life, then we don't need to be friends. And I've, I've had multiple conversations like that since COVID wow. began. Um, what's the one thing we're not making any more of? And that's time. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's and, and we can discuss quantum mechanics later on mm-hmm. in a different podcast. But if we sure. know that we have a finite amount of time on this planet, why would we consider wasting that on relationships where someone isn't willing to meet us in some kind of capacity halfway? You know, if, if someone is willing to say, I don't value our time together enough to tell you what's going on in my life. And I want to direct you back to my social media feed. Have that have that conversation with them. You know, it's not it's not a problem to fire your friends. You know, I love this. And, you know, we're, we're going to close off, but I just want to add in that when you say that you do this for 30 minutes a day, I'm very inspired because I know you're following. You have a really big following. So there's lots of people that, you know, 100, 200, you've got like hundreds of thousands of people. And for you to say that, I hope that's inspiring for others to, you know, get off their freaking social media. Yeah. Look, there's, there's, right? I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a neurosurgeon. I'm not curing cancer via social media. I'm not curing COVID. I'm educating. I'm inspiring. Um, and that's it, right? And I can do that without spending a great deal of time on there. And I can do that without losing myself to social media. As a tool for engagement and connection, it works. As a habit or an addiction, it doesn't work. And we have to reframe no. that. And I think the best way is to just say, like, yeah. if, you, if you feel compelled to utilize social media as a connective tool, Great, but limit it. And, you know, and, and you'll, when I say that to people, you're going to find the ones that have that addiction, right? Because they're the ones that start flop sweating as I say that. Like, they think about, oh my God, only using social media twice a day. Like, if that made your pulse rate go up, listeners, really think about what that social media means in your life. Do you have a healthy relationship with it? And if you're kind of freaked out at the idea of limiting your time, then really recognize that that's a problem. And, you know, take the appropriate steps to remove that element of social from your life and focus on it as a tool for connection, not as an addiction. Love it. Connection, learning. Yeah. And yeah. lose your phone. Just lose it. Lose it in the house somewhere. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Charge it in a different room. That's absolutely yes. it. 26% of, I think it was 26% of a millennials admitted to waking up in the middle of the night to check social media. Yes. Uh, I think it's way higher than that. I think it's way higher than any, like as soon as they wake up, that's the first thing they go towards. And it's like right beside their bed. So we've certainly banished it from my uh, bedroom. I I have it in my bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So what are the, what are the, I know we're going to cut off, but like, you know, if if we look at sleep and the glymphatic drainage is kind of our, our way of dealing with beta amyloid plaques and tangles, you know, Mm -hmm. that deep level of sleep, which we know is like, you know, REM sleep stage four and five. Mm -hmm. If we're not getting to that because we've got this, pathological and compulsive thing right next to our bed that we're checking. What is that going to do to a generation that's constantly doing this, right? I think we're going to start to see Alzheimer's and dementia slowly, the age of that slowly creep down into like forties, fifties, you know, we're going to see an epidemic of that with this generation simply because of these devices. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're that with type two diabetes, the combo or type three, we call it. Right. So Mm -hmm. the combo is a little bit of a nightmare. So definitely put the phones away, limit your time. And at night, yeah, definitely don't be checking because that's where you're going to be suppressing melatonin. That's a really important hormone in addition to preventing those plaques. So thank you so much. It was awesome. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Click subscribe, like, and share. Please comment and suggest topics you want us to cover. Until next time, ask yourself how you're going to embrace you first today. For more podcasts, check out embraceyoufirst.com. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.